Father, we ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word. We thank you that um, as, you know, June was such an incredible month here with uh, our 20th anniversary celebration and then Vacation Bible School and, uh, and the number of kids that came to make commitments to Christ. And as you continue to bring salvation to this place, we want to be a beacon of light and truth. Lord, you're working in these days. And, Lord, sometimes we can look around us and we get discouraged and, and we think, Lord, um, what's happening? And it is. It's a, a, a time where we see our culture as a whole is moving further away from you, but we still have a message of hope. You're still working. And, Lord, that we want to grow in your truth. We want to be able to bless others, and we want to be able to be a light to others, and we want to stand firm um, in what your word declares and to trust in you in the days in which we're living in. So tonight, may we be encouraged and taught and edified as we go through these last psalms here that are very rich. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 144 and Psalm 145 are the last two psalms of David. Remember that David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, wrote at least half of the psalms. Actually, 74 of them have his name that is attributed to those psalms. But it is uh, very probable, most likely, that he wrote several other psalms that are here in the book of Psalms that we've gone over, including Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in all of the Bible, 176 verses. So these last two psalms of David are, are very special. They're, they're, um, one is uh, in Psalm 144 is written as David is giving thanks to the Lord and blessing the Lord uh, for making him a great warrior and, and soldier and king and helping him. Let's begin to read this in Psalm 144, a psalm of David. As he writes, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. And so David wrote this psalm again to bless the Lord. And, and I've had people tell me once in a while that, well, we really can't bless the Lord. And that's not scriptural because what we're going to see here in these last seven psalms is going to be repeated to you and to me that we can bless the Lord. We've seen that all throughout the book of Psalms as we worship him. And I believe firmly as the word of God tells us that as we came into this place desiring to give our worship to him, just worshiping him, that it blesses the Lord. It pleases him. As we have seen, it's like a sweet smell and aroma to him uh, as our prayers go up to him, as our praises go up to him. And so David was one that desired to bless the Lord. That was important to him. And he's blessing the Lord. He's honoring God for making him that great warrior. And David was a great warrior. Absolutely incredible. And when you read about the mighty men of David, what they did, of course, anointed by the Spirit of God. These guys uh, were great warriors. They killed giants. They defeated nations. And it's interesting, as you go through David's mighty men, what they did, absolutely incredible. So if you came against David, he gave you a whipping. Because God's hand was upon him, and he defeated those nations all around him. And he was also a great king, and, and he was one that was a great administrator. And he's given thanks to the Lord for that. And you and I, we are told in the New Testament, as Paul was writing to Timothy, matter of fact, in Second Timothy chapter 2, the last words of Paul that we have recorded in the New Testament, he, he says that we are likened to soldiers, and we need to be trained and equipped for his purposes. And 
that's why it's so important that we continue in the Word of God, we continue to pray for one another, that we continue to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord in our lives. Because we are in a battle, aren't we? And as I've mentioned to you, as A.W. Tozer says, this is not a playground, this is a battleground. And we do spiritual battle as Ephesians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. Those two sections of Scripture speak about spiritual warfare, that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we're to suit up is what you and I are to do. We're to put on the whole armor of God to, to be able to withstand the schemes of the devil, the, the fiery darts that he throws at us continually as he accuses us, as he lays traps for us and tries to tempt us, as he'll try to discourage us and get a foothold into our lives and into our families and into this church family. And he constantly does that. So it's very, very important that we know what the armor of God is, as we covered that in Ephesians chapter 6, and then also that we are to hold every thought uh, to the obedience of Jesus Christ, as Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And the way that we can hold every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ is to be able to know the Word of God. Now, next week, we're going to start the book of Proverbs, and I pray and I hope that you come out on Wednesday nights as we go over Proverbs. I guarantee it's not going to take six months to go through the book of Proverbs, but we are going to go over a lot that's going to, to teach us about godly wisdom. There is a difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, and we as Christians, we need to be equipped with God's wisdom, and wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is obtaining, you know, that knowledge of what God's word has to say. Wisdom is having it worked out in your life, and there are those who have knowledge. They know the scriptures, perhaps, but they don't have wisdom because they don't allow the Word of God to, to be worked out in their hearts and worked out in their lives. So it's going to be very important that we keep that, the emphasis, as we go through the book of Proverbs. But listen, Christians, it is very important that we understand that the spiritual battle, I believe, as we get closer to the return of the Lord, is going to increase and is going to get most, more severe. It's going to get more intense. It's going to get more intense for you as you grow in, in the Lord and the truth of God's word. It's going to be more intense for you and your family and for this church family, for your ministry. And I know that I have felt it, particularly in the last year, because Satan knows that his time is short and he's going to throw everything he can at us. So we need to be trained and equipped. And just as Paul would write in the book of Ephesians, that he gave some to be pastors and teachers for what? The equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We need to continue growing in the word of God and encouraging one another. And so David here, he's talking about these things. And in the battle that we're in, remember of the goodness of God, the love of God, and he's mindful of us. Let's continue in verse three, that Lord, what is man that uh, you are uh, take knowledge of him or the son of man that you're mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like passing, uh, like a passing shadow. So here, uh, as we think about the, the love and goodness of God, he is mindful of us. And David would write about that earlier in the book of Psalms as he would say, the heavens declare your glory. And he would go on to, what is man? Who is man that you're mindful of him? 
You know, the, all the stars that are out there, the vastness of the universe. And sometimes we can think that there's five billion people on this planet. And, and who am I that you would be mindful of me, Lord? And David was astonished that God would be mindful of him. And we need to know that God does think of us constantly. Remember, uh, as we read in Psalm 139, as David would write, how the Lord has formed us and shaped us and, and made us and were wonderfully made. And how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more numbered than the sand. So the Lord continually is thinking about you. And when Jesus went to that cross, as he would make his way from uh, the place of, uh, where they would uh, put that cross on his shoulders and down the Via Della Rosa to that place called Golgotha in the Hebrew tongue, that place of execution, I am thoroughly convinced that you were on his heart and on his mind. He was thinking about you. And he knew that you'd be in this place 2,000 years later. On this Wednesday night in June 2016, and he wants to remind you of how much he loves you. That's why he went to the cross, and he's mindful of you. He thinks of you constantly. And as you know, the promise of Jeremiah 29 that says, I know my thoughts toward you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He is your hope. He's your future. He thinks of you constantly. He loves you. He, he doesn't forget about you. And I know that there was a time in my life where I thought, the Lord, you don't see me. You don't know me. You don't hear me. Do you, do you really know that I'm around? And through his word, I know that I have the promise that he's mindful of us. And, and what is man that you take knowledge of him and the son of man that you're mindful of him? And then David recognized that our days are like a passing shadow. And that's one of the things that I have learned that David had that perspective. He, he knew that the priority was eternity. Our days are short, aren't they? James likens our day to being like a vapor. And here he says, like a shadow that passes. Sometimes uh, that will be outside or something, and a shadow will just kind of uh, bird will fly by, and it just passes by. That's what it reminds me of is so quickly. And, and you see, that's why it's very important that we keep eternity, that that is a priority for you and for me, that we keep our eyes on the things above, as Paul would write to the Colossian believers, and not on the things of this world. We live this life. There are things that we enjoy in life. We have a living that we have to make in life. But here's the thing, that we can get so caught up on the temporal, and so much messages today in the church is about the temporal and what's in it for me, and, and, and treating God like he's some kind of celestial Santa Claus. And, and we need to keep focus on the eternal, on the spiritual. That is the priority. And David knew that it was about eternity. He said, one thing that I desire of the Lord, that I should dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold his beauty. He wanted to be with the Lord. He wanted to fellowship with the Lord. And that's what I hope and pray that our priority is, is that I want to know you more. The most important thing in your life and my life is to know him, to know him more, to fellowship with him, to have intimacy with him. 
And that's the Lord's desire. And to keep our eyes on eternity, as Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 1, oh, I pray that your eyes would be enlightened, that you would come to understand what is the hope of your calling. And what's the hope of our calling? We're going to go to heaven. And just as we sang tonight that song from Revelation chapter 4, that's the song of the 24 elders and the four living creatures that, that buzz around the throne of God and do not stop day and night praising God continually, singing holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. We are going to be singing that in that new song of Revelation chapter 5. Worship is going to be very important when we go to heaven because we're going to spend all eternity worshiping him. And it's so wonderful for us to be here and worshiping him right now as we gather together. So David had his, his priority on heaven. He knew that man is like a breath. And we continue in verse 5 that Bow down your heavens, uh, O Lord, and come down. Uh, Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters. And from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lying words, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And so David here, as he's speaking like a soldier, he not only is he praising God and blessing God for being good, but second of all, for being powerful. Let him help you in your battle, just as he helped David. And I can't imagine all the little details in the battles that David went through. And, and, and here I think it gives us some of it. He got rescued out of great waters and, and how the Lord would, would really work on his behalf, just as the Lord desires to work on our behalf. So God is, he's good, God is powerful, and then as we continue in verse 9, God is faithful. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. The one who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David his servant from the deadly sword. In verse 11, rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lying words, and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden, that there be no Breaking in, uh, breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets. And in verse 15, happy are the people who are in such a state. And happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So God is good. God is all powerful. And then thirdly, he is faithful. And, and I love what David is writing here as he says, I'm going to sing a new song because you're the one that works. And he's praying for, for safety, for security. And happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. But I want to draw attention to verses 11 and 12 because the Lord really ministered these two verses to my heart today as I was preparing and praying through the message. But it's interesting, when you read verse 11 in the King James, it reads that deliver me from the hands of strange children is the word that is used. And then he goes on, David, to write about, keep me from those who speak lies and falsehoods and that our sons may plant, you know, grown up in their youth, uh, be as that and our daughters may be as pillars. He's talking about strength and security, isn't he? And you see, he's praying against that which is false. Strange children, you know. 
We look at our, our land, we look at our culture today, and there's a lot of strange things out there, isn't there? And it's getting more strange. There's a lot of lying tongues and falsehood. And as I read this, and as we are reminded that it's God's desire that, that he would bring blessing and security and safety to our children, that dads and moms and grandparents, if you're an uncle, an aunt, if you have the opportunity to be able to minister to, to children, to young ones, but particularly for dads and moms, listen, it's very, very important that you keep a priority to train your children in the ways of the Lord. We live in a society where it is getting more deceptive out there. It is getting harder out there to stand on righteousness without being criticized and put down. And we need to stand for the truth of God's word and for righteousness. And mom and dads, we need to. It's imperative that we make it a priority that we're going to train our children in the ways of the Lord. We can't just say, well, I don't have time for that. Or, you know, I'll let the church do that. Listen, we're going to do everything that we can to teach your children the truth of God's word and, and these youth kids up there, encourage them in their walk. But the primary ones that are to raise children in the ways of the Lord is you as a parent to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. Train them up in the ways of the Lord. To be praying for them and talking to them about the things of the Lord. To, to, to make sure that that is something that you have at the top of your list as a responsibility and role as a mom and dad, grandparents as well, you have great influence. And maybe whatever state you might be in, you may have influence over maybe nieces and nephews. But we need to make sure that that is important because I'll tell you the truth on this, that if they are not trained in the ways of the Lord, they're going to get slaughtered out there in the world. There's too many voices out there. A thousand voices or more that are going to pull them away from the Lord. And we see it happen. And we need to be praying for them. We need to be like Job. Remember when we went through Job in chapter 1 who got up and he sacrificed bulls for behalf of his children. That wasn't easy to fillet a bull. Lest they may have sinned in the days of the feast. He got up and he sacrificed for them. And parents, do we sacrifice some time every single day to pray for our kids and talk to them about the word of God and to, to share with them the word of God, what the Lord means to you and what he's done for you. And to be able to touch their hearts and talk to them about those things. And we need to do that daily and constantly because there's so much darkness and deception that is out there that is pulling our children away, telling them that there is no God, telling them that they can live any way that they want, that be free. And we see that it's affecting our families to a great degree in our children, a younger generation. I pray that we would say, Lord, help us in doing that. You know, I was talking to some guys. It's, it's, it's talking about here about daughters and, and sons, that our daughters may be as pillars, sculpture in palace style. Our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. Dads, talk to your sons what it means to be a godly man, their role and their responsibility to encourage them to pursue purity and holiness in their walk, 
talk to them about those things. And I really believe the direction, I was talking to some guys last night about this, that our culture is going, that as you do that in the next year, two years, I don't know when, that as you and I as fathers, that we are talking to our sons about being men and what it means to be a man and playing the role of a man, the the responsibility of a godly man in godly character and integrity, and that, again, includes purity and and righteousness and pursuing the things of the Lord, that it's going to be considered wrong. You can't do that. It's even going to be considered abuse to some degree. It is coming. But we must do that. And I pray that we are like Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah in chapter 4 as he stationed those men in front of his homes and they had a sword in one hand and a trial in the other. It speaks of the word of God, the sword of the spirit and a trial as you serve the Lord like Joshua who said, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You guys choose who you're going to follow. And we have to say that in this day. You follow who you're going to, the culture is going to. And we're going to be a light. But as for me and my house, we are going to follow the Lord. And we choose the Lord. And as we talk to our sons and to our daughters about daughters, you wait for that godly man that's going to come along. Who's going to lead you and guide you. Who's going to love you. The way that the Bible speaks and lives with you in an understanding way. Who's going to cherish you and serve you. That you wait on the Lord because he has the very best for you. And as we talk to our children about those things, their safety and their security, and the world is going to come against you and me and our children and tell us to live any way that you want. Just, you know, live any lifestyle that you want. It's like the days of the book of Judges now. We truly are in those days. The theme of the book of Judges is they did what was right in their own eyes. And as you read that book, which we've studied and many of you have, you see it goes from bad to worse to worse. And and perversity leads to greater perversity. And it got very, very ugly and bad. And it was very dark. This Sunday, we're going to divert from our Luke study and we're going to go to the Second Chronicles. Because it is the 4th of July weekend, We're going to talk a little bit about a king from Judah named Asa who started out well but didn't end well. And I believe that there's a message in there for us as a nation and for us as a church and for our families and for us individually. And we're going to look at that very carefully. But we cannot afford to say, I don't have time to minister to my children. I'll let the church do that. We will do that. But you have to be there for your children. I have to be there for my children. And that we would show them truth and teach them truth. So here is David writing about that. He says that there's blessing that's in the land. That there's, you know, security and happy are the people 
who are in such a state, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. In Psalm 145, a praise of David, I will extol you, O my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So here, God is rich in mercy and grace. As uh, David says, one generation in verse 4 shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And he praises the Lord as an encouragement to others. And in verse 4, each generation needs to praise the Lord. That's what I love about here at Calvary Chapel. You have the young people, the young generation praising the Lord and, and the older generation. And I include myself in that. All right. Us older, you know, generation, we're praising the Lord and we're praising the Lord together. And that's the way it should be. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The message of the cross. The message of the cross is for every culture and every generation, isn't it? And we can praise the Lord all generations. And I will meditate on your glorious splendor. Verse 5 goes on to say, your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. And they shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and you shall sing uh, of righteousness. Verse 7. And then the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Verse 8, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies over all his works. And so we know that as we continue looking at this, we're to meditate on his goodness and grace and, and compassion and mercy and greatness. Verses 8 and 9, doesn't that remind you of the name of God declared to Moses? The Lord would say, Moses, my, I'm gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, full of mercy. As David says, you're great in mercy, good to all, his tender mercies over all his works. You know, sometimes that, that when we're new to reading the Bible or sometimes Christians kind of have a mindset of God was grumpy and upset and judgmental in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he mellowed out. And Jesus is there to help him mellow out, kind of running around, you know, running interference, you know, so God didn't zap everybody. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in the Old Testament, we see as we've gone through it very carefully in those historical books and as we continue, that he's full of compassion. He's gracious and slow to anger. And as God is one that is very gracious... Slow to anger. He is also a holy God and a just God, and he will judge sin. And that's what the Old Testament shows us, that his hand of grace and mercy calling them, turn back to me. Turn back to me. I made a covenant with you. And he desired for them to do that, and he showed his grace and mercy, but he also judges sin. It was Jesus that would say to his disciples in that upper room, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As Philip would say, show us the Father that it may suffice us. Oh, Philip, you've been with me all this time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the heart of the Father is like, then look at me. Study me. Know me. And God is a God of grace, of of mercy, of compassion. And his Salvation is available to anyone who turns to him. That God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I was thinking about that verse today and just, you know, we know it by heart and we say, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You know, we can say it real fast and we memorize it, but really let it sink into your heart over and over again. Never lose the impact of that incredible verse of John 3.16. God so loved the world in you that he gave his only begotten son. That Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, despised the shame, endured the cross, the joy being you. But he is also a God of justice, and he will judge sin. And if you ever think that, you know, in the New Testament that, you know, he's mellow and, and laid back, and, and sometimes Christians kind of go on the other extreme of, well, I'll just live any way that I want. It's just, that's what grace is, and God loves me the way I am. And, you know, he does love us the way that we are, but he desires for us to know him and to walk in holiness. In other words, he loves us too much to leave us where we are because it's going to be sin that's going to hurt us and hold us in bondage, and he's going to judge sin. The good news for you and for me that are in Christ, that he took the judgment on that cross for you and for me. But we also know the book of Revelation, a heavy book, right? That he's going to, the time's going to come, a period of time, that he's going to judge a Christ-rejected world. So here is declaring the name of God. And then verse 10, all your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. And they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And so speaks of God's wondrous works in our lives and what he's done for us and what he means uh, to us. And the Lord upholds all who fall, verse 14, and raises up all who are bowed down and the eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season and you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And so he upholds us, doesn't he? And he satisfies us. He feeds us. Jesus would say to the multitude, if you're hungry, come and eat of me. Because I'm the bread that came from heaven, the living bread. And as you eat of me and drink of me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. But you will believe into everlasting life. So tonight, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus said what? You shall be full. You shall be full. We're going to go over that as we're going to look at some of those Beatitudes uh, next time that we're in Luke's gospel. But he's the one, the, the desire of every living thing. He satisfies us. He's our desire. It, it reminds me so much of, of what Psalm 37, David wrote. He said, delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The key is, because the prosperity teachers like to take that, just name it and claim it, and he'll give you whatever you want. The key is you delight in the Lord. And as you delight in the Lord, his desires are going to become your desires. Just delight in the Lord. That's the key. And he's going to satisfy you and the desire of every living thing as he just is going to feed you. He's going to fill you. He's going to bless you. And the Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. And he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. And he will also hear the cry and and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him. 
but all the wicked he will destroy. And in my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. And so we see here that call upon him in truth, that's the key. He is near to all who call upon him and call upon him in truth. It's so important that we understand this. And we've talked about it quite extensively going through Psalms and as we go through the word of God, that we need to call upon him in truth. It isn't, oh, I believe in Jesus and then I'm going to live any way that I want or live contrary to what the word of God has to say. We call upon him and we call upon him in truth. In other words, what my prayer for all of us is that as we read the commandments, we see the principles, as we know the precepts, as, as we read the truth of God's word, that we would say, this is your word, Lord, and this is how you've called me to live. And I'm not going to substitute it with man's way or my ways or the world's philosophy. Because as Colossians chapter 2 says, you will be cheated. You will be cheated big time. And you will struggle. We call upon him in truth. And Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The world will hold you in bondage. Do you know that? And deceive you and put you in darkness. So it's very important that we know the Word of God. And what a big concern of mine is in the church today is that more and more Christians are ignoring the Word of God. They're putting it aside and saying, you know, that, you know, God, again, God just loves us and we'll just live any way that we want and we'll do what we want or, or whatever the case may be. Living in a way that is very contrary to the way that God wants us to live. We live according to truth. And we walk after that truth. And you're going to experience that abundant life that he has for you. And so here, the last of the Psalms of David. And then the last five Psalms that we'll go over fairly quickly here are called Hallelujah Psalms that focus on our praise to God. And it all begins with the, the wording praise the Lord. And then the Psalms end with praise the Lord as well. So let's look at them. Praise the Lord, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So the psalmist begins to, with a vow to praise the Lord throughout his life. And he says that I will sing praises while I have my being. In other words, as long as I got breath. Remember that it was Paul when he, in Acts chapter 17, he was talking to the philosophers on Mars Hill. And he said, through him we have life and breath in all things. And as long as I have breath... I want to proclaim his praises. I want to proclaim his word. As long as I can speak, as long as the Lord has me here, and I pray that we would as well. And so that's what the psalmist is saying. And don't put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. And that very day his plans perish. And as the psalmist continues, we trust in him. It's amazing what people trust in today, isn't it? Trusting in man's wisdom and strength and what our culture, the latest trend is or whatever. And it won't last. It won't last. Isaiah chapter 30 and 31. Woe to the rebellious children of Israel. For you take counsel, but not of me. And he was talking to the nation of Israel that was turning to Egypt. Of course, a picture of the world, symbolizing the world. That you're going to them for help. Why aren't you coming to me? Coming to me in quietness will be your strength. 
And you see, he was telling them, those fast Arabian horses, it's all in vain. Pharaoh isn't going to help you. You're going to fall. But in coming to me and taking counsel of me, that I will be a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. So we need to be especially mindful that we go to him and trust in him and that we are dependent upon him and look to him. And happy is he, verse 5, who has God of Jacob for his hope, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, and Lord gives freedom to the prisoners, uh, the ministry of our Lord. He's the creator of all things, and he keeps truth forever. In verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. But the way the wicked, he turns upside down. You know, the Lord has a special heart, and his eye is on the orphans and the widows and the poor and the strangers. We need to remember that. Those who are downtrodden, downcast, those who are hurting, the Lord has a special heart for you. He has a special attention given to you. He desires to work for you. Don't think that he doesn't. And the Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord here, the Lord who works on our behalf, who love him, and we will reign with him forever. In Psalm 147, praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. It is beautiful, isn't it? The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. So God's understanding is infinite. And I love here verse 3 as, as the psalmist writes, he heals the brokenhearted. Does that remind you of anything? It reminds me of what we just went over in Luke chapter 4. Remember when Jesus went into the synagogue there in Nazareth and he opened up the scriptures and he began to read about the ministry of Messiah. He's reading about himself that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord. And so he, he said this hearing is fulfilled today. And he's talking about the ministry of Messiah, anointed to heal the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds, as David says here. If you're brokenhearted, he's here to minister to you comfort and healing to you that you need. And I love that. You know, yesterday, when, when, uh, after I did Calvary Live and I came home and we needed to be somewhere and, and uh, Sue was making dinner and I was watching just a little bit of news. And then I made the mistake of turning on the Christian, you know, television, uh, TBN. And, and there was one of the prosperity teachers that was there teaching about Isaiah 61, that he has anointed you. And there's a great anointing coming upon you, Paula White would say. And you need to just send in $61 
Isaiah chapter 61, and you'll get this anointing and we're going to pray over you. And it was such blasphemy over what the word of God declares. That's the ministry of the Messiah. And you have to pay for the anointing of the Lord to work in your life to her. $61. Listen, don't give her a dime because they're ripping you off. And they're charlatans. And I get tired of hearing that. And then going over to Revelation that we overcame by the word of testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And, you know, we got a powerful testimony of, Lord, we are putting the seed faith and you're going to anoint me. It's talking about he has anointed me, capital M, the Messiah. And yes, the anointing that the Lord gives to us and the Holy Spirit to be able to minister to others because he desires for us to minister to the brokenhearted and proclaim the gospel and to free those who are in captivity those of you who are ministering to those who are in bondage. But we don't have to pay $61 to somebody to do that. It's a ripoff. Don't pay them a dime. And I get really tired of it and frustrated. And, and they're crooks. Tell us how you really feel, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> don't give them a dime. And people fall for it. And they misinterpret the scriptures greatly when they do that. It's sad to see it. He heals the broken heart. He binds up their wounds. And he desires to use you and me as we give him our hearts and we just surrender to him. And I love what he says here. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. And remember that you used to hear those commercials about if you pay so much dollar, you can get a star, you know, and name it and... I was going to name one after Sue and do that. And then I read this verse and I said, well, it's already been named by Jesus. So I guess I won't go there. By the way, we've been reading that in Psalm 139, that his thoughts towards us are towards the, uh, as numerous as the sand on the seashores, the grains of sand. Let me ask you a question. Are there more stars in the universe or more grains of sand on the beaches in the world? Kind of an interesting question, isn't it? I got the answer. I know how many there are. If you look it up, the sands of grain on the beaches of the world is 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power. There's actually a number for that, 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains. Whatever that means, it's a lot of grains. So is there more grains of sand on the beaches or more stars? In the ancient world, back in Jesus' day, when they first came out with these, you know, whenever, um, very, you know, first telescopes, they counted 1,026 stars up in the sky. That's how many they thought there was. We know there's a lot more, don't we? There's a lot more stars. The number of stars is 1 to 10 to the 29th power. Now, of course, these are all estimates. But as I think about, you know, that great number, and the Lord knows them all by name, those stars, 1 to the 10 to the 29th power, if that's even it, who knows? It may be double, triple that. And if he knows them all by name, he knows you by name. He knows you. And he knew you before you were even born. And he wants to do such an incredible work in your life. He wants to know you more. He wants to fill you with his love. He desires to, to be the Lord of your life, truly in every area of your life. He knows your name. 
And he thinks of you constantly as we have seen, just as the sum of the sand that's in the world. And he wants to work on your behalf. So here, as we continue, verse 7, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praises on the harp to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, and makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beasts its food and to the young ravens that cry. And so the Lord does, uh, as we see, work on our behalf. He loves to do that. He loves to, to continue to, 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 to you know, uh, to have us just look to him. He provides for us. He does not delight in the strength of, of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. Verse 10, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. Isn't that a prayer for our nation? That we would have blessed children and provided for and peace on our borders. The finest wheat. He has blessed this nation. But it comes by trusting him and praising him and knowing him. He sends out his command to the earth. The the word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them, and he causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statues, and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. And then Psalm 148, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. In Psalm 148 here, he uses the word praise 13 times in these 14 verses. Praise him in the heights and praise him all his angels and praise him all his hosts and praise him sun and moon and praise him all you stars of light. Praise him you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. And let them praise the name of the Lord for he is commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and forever and made a decree which shall not pass away. In verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, all the depths, fire, hail, snow, and clouds. Thinking of the sea creatures from the depths, I don't think we know fully what's down there in that ocean. When that, that great tsunami happened, I don't know, a number of years ago, remember the day after Christmas in the Indian Sea, things washed up that they had never seen before. Just incredible sea creatures. He made them all. And praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and fire and hail and snow and clouds, verse 8. Stormy wind filling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowls, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all the judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him. Psalm 149, as Psalm 148, of course, ends with praise the Lord. And then praise the Lord starts out. Psalm 149, sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise in the assembly of saints. I think a new song is speaks as as we talked about it's more than oh here's a new song we're going to sing oh it's a new day it's a new song just a a, a just never gets old praising the lord right 
And let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance and let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. And the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he will beautify the humble with salvation. And let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud in their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments of the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute them on written judgments. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. And so we praise the Lord where? We praise him corporately. We worship him at home, not just at church, uh, in our beds. Worship him in the battlefield. When we're doing battle, you know, out there uh, against the enemy and against the world. And then as we finish the book of Psalms in Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him in his mighty acts. Praise him according to his great, excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet, with the lute and the harp, and with the timbrel and dance, with string instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath, what? Praise Praise the Lord. And that's the book of Psalms. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that these wonderful 150 chapters that we've gone through, Lord, uh, what a, what a blessed time we've had on Wednesday and the important lessons of trusting you and calling out to you, knowing you and praising you continually. And Lord, I thank you for the richness of these psalms, that we would just continue to know them and hold them in our hearts, to turn to them when we need that comfort and that assurance. And Lord... Um, when we go through the difficulties and the hard times, that just as these psalmists would write, that you're there to hear us, to work on our behalf. You're our trust. You're our refuge, our strength, everything that we need. And so, Lord, I do pray tonight. I do pray for those who are here in the sanctuary or out in a coffee shop listening on live stream, perhaps going to listen to this message later online or Somebody hands a CD or maybe on the radio later. That you've never come to Jesus for salvation. Let I pray that you would come because the invitation is given. He is compassionate and he is full of mercy and grace and love for you. And he died for you on that cross because we have sinned. And the Bible declares according to his truth, that that sin has separated us from him. It's brought death. Just as Paul would write in Romans chapter 5 that that sin and death came into the world to all that came through Adam. But eternal life comes through the last Adam, Jesus Christ, through his righteous act. And Jesus came to this world to give you hope, the only hope that you have of eternal life and to be forgiven. is not found in anywhere else or anybody else, or in yourself, or in a church, or in any any other religious leader, it is found in Jesus alone. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the invitation is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know what the great thing is, is everybody is in that whosoever. That's you. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, recognizing that they're a sinner 
in need of the Savior of the world, Jesus, call upon him and ask him into your life. Surrender your life to him. You can do that right now. That Jesus, I come to you, and I know that, that you went to the cross for me because you knew all about me. You knew I'd be here tonight. And I thank you for touching my heart and speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would forgive me a sinner and forgive me of my sins because you died on that cross for me. I believe that and I know that. And I know that you're alive and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Sit upon the throne of my life and help me to know you and to walk with you. And I thank you for saving me and hearing my prayer and for loving me. Help me to just know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer tonight, you're here. When we close, I'm going to stay up here, and I want you to come up and tell me the decision that you made. I want to encourage you and bless you, but for all of us here tonight as we go our way, Lord, I do pray for our nation. As we celebrate 240 years as a nation, you have blessed this nation I love this nation, and we in this room do. We've benefited from it. We've been blessed by it, but also, Lord, we're concerned. We find ourselves in an election year. We find ourselves with a lot of turmoil and a lot of challenges. We need your help. We need you, Lord. And I pray for our leaders. I pray for a nation that we would turn to you. Because righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach, a shame to any nation. And it seems like we're just, as a nation, getting further away from you and how we need you. Lord, the strength of a nation is one who turns to you and trusts in you. So I pray for revival. Lord, I'm not ready to give up on this nation. I don't think any of us are. And I don't think you want to. So we pray that you would move that you would move among our leaders, that you would move in the church, because it seems like the church, Ezekiel tells us that the judgment of God begins in the house of God, that we would stand for righteousness and for truth and what is good and decent. And Lord, I pray that we would be committed to you and be a beacon of light Pray for an outpouring of your spirit upon this land to be a turning to you and that we would humble ourselves and cry out for forgiveness. And we know you promise in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that you will heal our land. We need that. Father, I pray for those who are going to be traveling. I know a lot of people are going to be out and about. Keep all of us safe with the weather and hot weather and, Lord, just fireworks and things like that. Just keep us safe, those who are traveling. And, Lord, we look forward to going into the book of Proverbs next week and, Lord, what you have for us as we gather this weekend. But, Lord, thank you for tonight. I pray that we would leave here encouraged and blessed because we know that we can call upon you in truth, that you will show yourself strong on our behalf, that, Lord, that as we look to you, Um, Lord, you are so good and gracious and long-suffering 
and full of mercy. So we thank you. Lord, fill us with your joy as we go our way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand?